Ontario Association of Broadcasters giving this year's Hall of Fame award recipient, Doug Kirk, a standing ovation. The Durham Radio president and founder was bestowed this year's board-nominated Lifetime Achievement Honor, using his acceptance speech to take aim at the CRTC, which was notably absent from this year's gathering, as well as big broadcasters practicing widespread consolidation. Kirk has grown Durham Radio from a single station in Ajax in 1994 to seven stations today and is calling on independent broadcasters to take a different strategy to survive and flourish. Broadcast Dialogue caught up with Kirk following this year's awards presentation to talk about everything from the current regulatory environment to industry viability and strategic decision-making. So two standing ovations. How do you feel? I feel tired. <laughs> I no, I'm I'm extremely gratified, and uh, I took the opportunity. You know, when Val said, oh, "You got a five minutes to talk about your past," and that's not usually a situation that I'm in. It's usually, well, oh, okay, I'm writing something on a CRTC application or a pitch or something like that. And I had to really reflect and say, I got five minutes to talk about me. And I don't usually do that. <laughs> so it was trying to frame that. It, talking about me, but it's really not about me. It's about Durham Radio. It's about the team and everything else. So. Since I first could look over the kitchen table in Montreal in the mid-50s, there on the wall, next to the wall, there was a brown box with a horizontal lighted dial on it and a volume control. And it was magical. Music, all sorts of music that played out, but the time signal came out at 1 p.m., if you recall. And they just killed it a couple of weeks ago. And news from all over the world. It was instant communication to everything beyond our street. Andrew Forsyth will remember Mike Stevens on 800 CJAD and Gord Sinclair Jr. on 600 CFCF back in the day. This is how the radio bug got infected into my DNA. And almost seven decades later, it's still fascinating, exciting, and uh, motivating every day. It's very happy with the reaction to it by the by everyone. I think the reaction was overwhelmingly positive. I think you said some important things about advocating for independent broadcasters. Do you want to talk a little bit about, you know, the regulatory environment that everybody's grappling with right now? I'll say one thing. The current regulatory re requirement is uh, completely unresponsive to the conditions that the industry is facing right now. I'm looking at it through a narrow view of the radio lens but generally you can see this this also applying to television and the the troubles that are going on there so i'm a i'm a radio guy i own a radio business and i'm looking at it from that res respect uh, i don't think the the regulator has is one a very informed of what's going on in the business and is not acting to improve that and uh, right now, uh, in a regulated, a regulated business, 
I think the quid pro quo is that the regulator is informed and knowledgeable about the business that they're regulating. And I just don't see enough of that right now. You also talked about consolidation. You have a lot of really long-serving employees. Do you want to talk about actively avoiding layoffs like some of the other broadcasters have in recent years? Yes, you're right. Uh, a lot of our employees have, have been with Durham Radio since we started. I mean, not that. We started with 15 or 20 people. We started, uh, as you know the history, we started, we bought CHOO AM and Ajax in 1994. And, you know, we probably had 10 employees at the time. And we, when we relaunched the station, we built an FM on it and improved some of the stuff in the building and relaunched it as KX96 in November of 94. Of, of uh, there are still several people that work for us that were there day one, basically. So, and, and generally, the t- tenure of our, our people is quite long. I mean, that's part of what we do. That's part of the culture of the place. That's what we try to do. I mean, we're not huge. We can't pay sometimes the, you know, right at the top of the scale, but we try and make the, the environment of Durham Radio positive, you know, reinforcing for people who grow with it. And uh, we can't be everything to everybody, but that's the, the culture we try and keep within the walls and be a positive place. So people tend to, to stay a long time. We've managed <laughs> acquisitions and growth and, and tried to keep people. Well, we didn't get rid of everybody if we made an acquisition. But it's also when you make an acquisition, you have to, to, to change the parameters of your, your, your team, the culture of the company, how it runs, because it, it's different. Those problems are always tough. <laughs> There are some people that are great fits. I can't say that everybody's worked out, but by and large, most do. And we just try and keep it growing and, and, and keep building on the team that we have. I feel like you give some of your program directors a really long leash. I'm thinking about The Rock in Oshawa and all of the experiments they've been doing, you know, putting at the sock in live overnights. Do you want to talk about, you know, allowing that kind of risk-taking at a time when a lot of other station groups are avoiding risk? Well, that's why we are where we are. <laughs> you know, the, the idea... I won't tell you, I won't name all the names, but the idea came up about what about overnight radio? And then it just evolved from there. And I said, well, you know, it's great. You're, you're saying to me, and I agree with you, that overnight radio is an unutilized and undeveloped resource. If you ask anybody from a corporate side, They'll say, oh, you're nuts, you know. Nobody listens to the radio. Who's going to buy advertising time? Well, our view was, I know that's the conventional wisdom, but in fact, if we are right and and can put a a program on that catalyzes listenership, then that's a value and we're going to be able to sell it. So it was up to us. Does Durham Radio want to take that risk? Darn right we do. 
that's why we did it. Would that also apply to bringing smooth jazz format to Canada, or was that more of of a personal, you know, project? Well, it, it's it, it's a it's a personal interest of ours. And it's well known. Mary and I like it, and we've got to know a lot of people in the in the business and know a lot of the artists. But it, it's really to, I mean, I, I'm not doing this to be a charity. We're we're trying to build something, uh, a different radio format that will have value to the market. Vancouver, good place to try it. You know, big market. Is there is there enough? We'll see. Right now, it's a little over a year old, the wave in Vancouver, and it's it's coming along. And, you know, we probably still have another two, two or three years to go on that. Do you have a career highlight? This is my career highlight. Mary said it hadn't happened yet, that it's, that it's, all, it's all uphill. It only gets better from here. <laughs> well, <laughs> part, part of this, I think, today, this award, because I'm sort of on this fizzy bubble, uh, you know, pulled together a lot. It pulled together 30 years of building Durham Radio into what it is. So that's a bit of a highlight, some recognition of that. But, you know, as I said uh, in the in the hall, you don't do it for the awards. You do it because you feel like you're building something and it's contributing. It's a good place for people to work. They enjoy what they do. You know, it, it sounds maybe a little uh, a little too sugar-coated, but, you know, that's but that's the way we operate. And you, you were saying, you know, long leash. I don't think our program directors have long leashes. They can't go off and change formats. It's all done in a very considered way. But it's, it's done with a very deliberative sharing of information. We try and say, it's not my way or the highway. We throw No idea is a bad idea until most of the people in the company think it's a, either a good idea or a bad idea. So we, we do work that, and uh, I, I would say, on the contrary, nobody has a long leash. They can, they can appear to have a long leash because we, uh, we have agreed that this is a sensible way to move forward, to try something new, and we're, we're conversant with the risks that we're taking on when we do that. And it, it's, it isn't like freewheeling, freeform radio, just do what you want. In fact, it's probably anything but. But but we we try and do things that may be unconventional. That we have an idea and we're willing to risk and try it. If it doesn't work, we'll still be here. But if it works, that just adds to what we're we're about. You touched on it in your acceptance speech. But there's a bit of a black cloud hanging over radio, especially since the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Do you have thoughts on, you know, navigating an uncertain future? Well, I made three points. Uh, at the end, uh, things we've got to work on, in my view, and that's an asymmetrical regulatory environment where things are expected of us and they cost us money. But I don't think we're given, you know, I don't think it's a level ground in many ways. I think. Part of that is some of the new evolution to the online world. Uh, the other thing is just in, in conventional regulation, I think uh, the regulator has to better understand what's going on here. And I don't think they do. And nor are they acting in a way 
to improve that. And you see it. Open broadcast dialogue tomorrow. Who turned off a radio station this week? Or, or did we turn off seven? There's something, something wrong at that point. Because my view is that, in, that, that they're an informed, knowledgeable regulator and regulating a commercial business has a, a contract. You have a contract with the business that you're regulating that you're trying to get public good out of it. And maybe because I'm older than the average person in the room, you see in the past that the, the, the CRTC was very concerned about over-licensing markets, putting too much in, because that would, if, if the market uh, declined, if, if, if it caused conditions in the market that, that removed a reasonable return from commercial broadcasters. I'm not talking about extraordinary returns, but just making enough money on the capital that's invested in the business that you can say, that's a good investment. That's a, that's a good business. We've now driven it to the point where it's not a good business. And the larger corporate operators are just saying, well, take that one, shut it off. You know, the, the short-term notoriety of turning it off will disappear in a couple of days. The news cycle's pretty fast. And guess what? The minute we turn it off, we can save oodles of money. And by the way, you know, the CEO wants to increase the dividend. <laughs> so uh, that's their approach to it. Uh, I think the commission should be concerned that that's what's going on. Because in the past, as, a, as an informed, concerned regulator, they should be overseeing this. In the last couple of reviews of radio, what significant changes have been made to the regulatory framework? Did you say none? Did I hear none? And I was thinking it in my head. I, I, I saw that. <laughs> I saw that in your eyes. You know, but that—that's what's happened. I think we've had now at least a decade or more of depletion of knowledge. They don't know what is going on, and what's at stake. And corporate phone companies are different. They've got 9 million wireless subscribers to pay the bills. The independent broadcasters in the room are generally owned by the people who are running the companies. They don't have anybody else. And we're concerned. And of course, it's our business and we want it to continue. And look, it's not discovering a gold mine. It's just getting a reasonable return. You should not be in a mature commercial business uh, losing money forever. It's, that's, that says it's not a viable business. But it's turning out to be that way. You've seen the, the CRTC's numbers. We're still 25 to 30% below the, the high water mark of the industry, which is 18, 19. And it isn't growing. It isn't even keeping up with inflation at this point. So that... That's a concern. Uh, many, many markets across the country in aggregate are losing money at the operating line. That's the revenues less, direct operating expenses called operating income in the CRTC charts. And you see market after market, they're making abysmally low or negative returns, which says the whole business is in trouble in those markets. This should be a huge red flag 
to the to the regulator, and they're saying, "Oh, you had thirty four point nine percent CanCon versus thirty five year in regulatory noncompliance." What I'm saying there is, there's a regulator and the there's the the detail of of regulating, but there's the regulator's bigger view, which is the health of the business that they're regulating, and I think. There's way too much emphasis on the day-to-day minutiae and no attention, material attention, on the big problem out there. And it's going to take concerted effort to get up to speed. We as independent broadcasters are willing to do whatever we have to if if the door's open. But you you got my shot on nobody from the regulator here. A lot of independent groups are grappling with the idea of secession planning. Is that something that you think about or talk about? Succession? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it it is. I mean, I mean to to a lot of us it's you know, most of our net worth is in our broadcasting companies. And yeah, it is. It's something that I've got to focus on because up till you ask the question, I've just assumed I'm going to live forever (laughs) (laughs) so on a on a lighter note i i want you to guess i asked a number of your employees and mary what what i should ask you do you know what they said oh what's his next move (laughs) it wasn't that but i'm i'm very curious to know what what is your next move doug I don't have a next move today. Okay. okay. But I've, I've said, you know, we've got a great deployment of stations. We're always looking for stuff that can move this forward and increase our presence in those markets. So it, it's somewhat of a secret because it isn't public, but it isn't public because we informed everybody in Vancouver that we've filed an application for Vancouver. To, you, to, to use another frequency there that's been off the air for years to enhance that. That's one thing. That's, mm-hmm. That would be big for us. That, mm-hmm. So that's taking that Vancouver opportunity that we have and making it full market pretty well. So the, the burning question your employees wanted to know. Uh, Doug? It's Doug. What time is it? Oh, uh, Doug, it's Linda. Why are you always late? <laughs> oh, because I'm always late. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just busy. We're in a long game, you know. I, I don't think you do really good work, you know, with too short a time frame. So we're in a long game. Um, some of the issues that I talked about in the room are, are, I mean, very crucial now that something happen and uh, we get, we get some, some better, uh, better conditions for the industry. I think most of the people you talk to are still pretty excited about what we do. Congratulations, Doug. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. I'm not used to this. (laughs) 
Thanks for listening to Broadcast Dialogue. For more information about the podcast or to receive exclusive access to our weekly briefing about the Canadian media industry, visit us at broadcastdialogue.com. Don't forget to like us on Facebook, connect with us on LinkedIn, and follow us on Twitter and SoundCloud. I'm Andrea Askowitz. And I'm Allison Langer. And we are the hosts of Writing Class Radio, a podcast, but we are so much more. We have writing classes. So if you are looking for live online classes where you can join a community, write to a prompt, get feedback, and get better, check out all our classes at writingclassradio.com. And listen to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts and at writingclassradio.com.